0: You gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm if you want to be judged on wood, grain, and concrete courts in New York. This ain't no nickel and dime. It's dribbling dimes where scoring never looked this good. I guarantee it. But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next and they took that ish? all cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens, Or as loud as Mr. Softy ice cream? No. You see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's Dribbling Dimes. Yes.
1: What's up, everybody? This is Emilio the Poet. What's good? This is Manny Digital. Welcome to another quarantine episode of Dribbling Dimes. Our guest today grew up in Trafford, Pennsylvania. That's just outside of Pittsburgh, for those that don't know. In my humble opinion, he is the founding father of the modern day shoe deal. In normal life, there are six degrees of separation. In the 30 for 30, talking about this man's life and career, there are six degrees of Sonny Vaccaro. With us today is the Don Corleone of sports marketing. Ladies and gentlemen, Sonny Vaccaro. What I what I really should have said, now that I'm thinking about this, if I was really on my game, Mr. Vaccaro, is John Paul Vincent Sonny Vaccaro. Is that right?
2: That's absolutely true. Sonny came along a minute or two after John Paul and Vincent were all put together. (laughs) Yeah, I I was uh, I was about two or three years old, and my mother and father had a tough time bearing children. There was six and a half years between me and my Only brother Jimmy Ricardo, Mm. and I was supposedly his history. Now I wouldn't remember, I was the sunny part of her life. She had her first child, and and, you know, it was a minute or two after that. So that sunny came about in that world uh, a long time ago around you know 1941 or 42. I was like two or three years old. Mm. What what history tells me, so so John Paul and Vincent were always
1: together. Gotcha. Good. So, so you you came up as a school teacher in Trafford. Is that correct?
2: I started. Yeah, yes, I did. Uh, when I graduated from Youngstown State, um, before any of my activities went on from there, I was a, a school teacher at my high school, a little you know town, you know in western Pennsylvania. Uh, there were fifty three kids in my class in my class when I graduated. So, by nineteen sixty two or sixty three, when I became a teacher there might have been 63. I mean, so wow. it's a very small town. And all I ever wanted to do, I think, in my memory, uh, was play sports and maybe coach the football team at my high school. That would have been the ideal life for me at a very young age.
1: Right. And, and so I know you went to Youngstown and you played football, but I'm curious, you know, life events kind of got you really heavily ingrained into in the basketball world. What what was that Moment, like wh- how did that actually happen and create this long legacy that you've established?
2: Hey, my, my legacy, whatever it is described as, uh, you know, I guess, my life, um, was something that happened like the next moment of my life. So there was never, ever anything preordained in my thoughts. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I, I basically played sports in this small town. I was not a good student at school, I never thought I'd go to college. Uh, I, I almost I almost signed a contract, uh, you know, which would be you know like you know it'd be like dinosaur in, in nineteen eighty seven with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I was a pretty good baseball player. I went to their tryouts and they liked me. And I had talked to people representing the Pirates and Pike Trainer, the great third baseman, was one of the tutors at that time. And uh, and so I was a, I was a Pittsburgh Pirate kid. Baseball was my first love. Wow. So uh, that's the irony. The irony of it all basketball would have been so far divorced from my early life that, you know, I played in high school, we all did. But just to get, you know, get to where your question is, uh, my life, uh, my life, as you go through this program with me, uh, was a matter of, like, you know, happenstance. And, and I, mm-hmm. I I evolved from everything that was presented to me the next moment of my life. I, 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 had, I never had anything planned you know, as we sit here, the only thing I had planned and I knew I was going to talk to you to do your show, but, <laughs> but it, it didn't have to happen. You right. know, and if you wouldn't have called me, I wouldn't have met you. So that's right. that's what a complete, you know, you can parallel that with Sonny Vaccaro's life. So, I, there, you know, to go through the, the, the rise and, you know, whatever of Sonny Vaccaro, just go through, maybe I can say this, Probably your show, because it's something that I, only about a year and a half ago, it came to my life, and, and I'm using it as I'm telling my life, you know, eventually, is my life paralleled in, you know, in the time era that I grew up in the 50s, a hitchhiker. Uh, that's what you did in, in the 50s, you know. Mm-hmm. You, no one ever had a car, so young people, especially someone like me, you know, and other people would hitchhike, would hitch rides from the next one town to the next town we didn't take trains and buses, no one had any money. Right. So then it, so eventually as I as I programmed what I went through, I was I was lucky enough to have a car very early in my life. This is a hypothesis. This isn't the actual event. Uh. This is what I'm telling your, tell your audience right now. I got in this car and I drove this car across America. I just drove. I just drove, drove, drove. It's like a, it's like a mystical thing, man. But this is really what happened in my life, in my eyes. And then I'd stop, and 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 you would be hitchhiking. Right. And we had turnpikes in those days, and usually that was a, another way because I used to hitchhike from Pittsburgh to, to Philadelphia to, to see you know a girlfriend I had right out of high school. And you're quitting, you know, that's a thousand miles away, Right. right. So I would stop along the road and pick up a hitchhiker. Person would get in my car and, it, and I'd say, Where are you going, young fella? And he said, Down the road, sir. And I would go, and The down the road now takes a period of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not a mystical down the road, 10 minutes and I drop you off. It's what happened. You get in my car, we talk, somehow you become involved in my life, this, this mm-hmm. guy in the car, right. the hitchhiker. And I drop you off. And I don't see you for years and maybe I never see you again. But what I said. What I'm when I'm sticking with now, and I think that's how I evolved. I never knew anybody. Once I left my high school, once I went to you know the junior college and the, you know Youngstown State, all that stuff. Nothing I was supposed to do ever worked out. I was supposed to go to the University of Kentucky for a football scholarship. You know, Blanton Collier was the coach. I mean, he was a great coach historically, because Cleveland Browns, all that sort of stuff. But I was injured. They sent me to a junior college. I, no, I, I didn't have the grades at that time. They sent me to a junior college out in California, which nobody from Pennsylvania in 1957 even knew where California was. Right. It was right after the war, right? Since 57, mm. the war was just over until 45, 46. Every mm. member of my family, either worked or was deferred. My like father didn't go to war uh, because he worked in a steel mill. and He poured the molten lava in the steel, in the crank. You see that picture 100 million times. Making guns or boats or whatever, you know, with the law mm. steel. The steel mills and the railroads and the coal mines were the most important element in, in our society in the 40s and, and how young you people are. Right. But my point is, that didn't work out. So he sent me to junior college. I get to Fresno, California with two of my friends I bring with me to play junior college football. Now, junior college football in, in Pennsylvania was not big, and you know, it's 57. But all the kids in California... Went, you know, the O.J., you know, Simpsons, all the great. No one went to college. They went two years of junior college out in California, mm-hmm. and that's I'm out there. We get off our plane in, in Fresno, California. The next day, we have a meeting with my new teammates. That was the first time in my life I was ever on, and so was Joey's and Jimmy, my teammates that I brought with from Traverd High School, and and we meet, and half the team was uh, Hispanic or Japanese. Wow. This, um, 19, just, just think of what I just told you. It's Fresno, California, right? Yeah. This is on mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or New York City, right? So, right. And they're in a whole new culture, and they never knew an Italian, a black kid, Jimmy, and a Serbian, Joey, okay? Wow. Here, wow. Just think what happened on my hitchhike. I go there, and I play. We had a very good junior college team, went to a bowl game. Our quarterback was a man named Danny Bill in the waybook. I don't know if you name me mm-hmm. if you go through your history book mm-hmm. you know, you know, your record book, he was a kicker for the uh, Los Angeles Rams and the Dallas Cowboys, kicked in Super Bowls and he he was our quarterback. We had four kids, went to major colleges, whatever. We were good. Okay. I now get hurt there and I have nowhere to go. I in mean, Really, you know, and they wanted me to go back second year and you know, and, and Kentucky took away the scholarship. Right. Because I uh, and I understand this is still feet. An interesting... Anyway, long story short, I go to Youngstown State because I write a letter to the football coach there who wanted me. Youngstown State, I had a bunch of offers. And that was obviously a lower level, you know, my egocentric son, even care. How I was <laughs> going to go to the <laughs> state teachers' calling, I was going to go play for Black Choir because Babe Pirelli was the quarterback there five years ago. Babe Pirelli was an Italian great player. If you look up that name, Babe was Pretty from Rochester, Pennsylvania. Okay. I'm a I'm Pittsburgh, prod an Italian century. Before we go any further, <laughs> got it. Further.
1: No, no worries. So
2: this, <laughs> so this year, this year was all these things happen. Go back to the hitchhiker. Now it started. I started meeting people. The round ball classic, the ABCD camp. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan wasn't even born. Right. I mean, all these things. Mm-hmm. Nike. Nike was just starting as a as a mystical company. In fact, Nike was still running track. Mm-hmm. So everything evolved mm-hmm. right. once I went back home. I got in an accident. I couldn't. All oh, I forgot to tell you, I was going to Wichita State. The guy almost didn't graduate. Because I was starting to pick up kids, pick up kids west of the and take them to was the predecessor of what AAU basketball is today. Local mm-hmm. tourists in Sharon, Pennsylvania, you know, uh, Youngstown, Ohio, East Liverpool, Braddock, Pennsylvania, Ellentown, Pennsylvania. On the East Coast, in the fifties, there were these postseason high school tournaments. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's where I made my chops because I never played football. Beattie, and Don Roselli, who was there in basketball, continue my scholarship. What are the odds of that in the world we live
1: in? Wait, hold on. Yeah, because, how, explain please, because that doesn't make any sense to me.
2: Well, I was on the football team. I went to fall. I was here. It was August. We were fall. I couldn't run anymore. That's why I got hurt at Reedley right before the bowl game. Yep. My last three games, I was hurt. And that's another reason why Kentucky didn't read me. I, I, I guess my, my thing was speed. I guess that what it was. I, I was pretty damn fast. But anyway, I go there. I'm going to go home. they could just kicked me out of the squad, I wouldn't know how I would have done Don Marzelli, the, the head basketball coach, was he liked my enthusiasm. How the hell he thought of me? I don't know, but I do know that he kept me on scholarship for four more years, being an assistant basketball coach at 19 years old, not coaching on the floor. He asked me, "Do you think you get me some kids from Pittsburgh to come to Youngstown State to play basketball?"
1: That's how, how it all happened. But how does how does he invest a scholarship in you? It sounds like I mean you mentioned like he liked your charisma, your character. He saw something in you. But like, how does he know? To tie you into basically a, a recruiter for him, I have no idea. Okay, so there wasn't anything that an was idea. missing here. It's just it was just him on a whim. No,
2: no well, I was practicing football. I, right. I didn't even go. To, I, I didn't go to basketball. It, you have to understand. This is my freshman year there. There, no, okay. I transferred right. Right. like my year, my, my first year at Youngstown. He didn't know me. He knew me from two weeks at the, the summer camp at FIT, uh, you know, the play days ago. Uh, and then then Dyke, I, I couldn't run. I couldn't, I couldn't help <laughs> wow. the football game. They were pretty good. And, and Dom said, I like this kid. I like this, you know, I like it. He had no idea that I knew anything about basketball. This was, <laughs> you have to understand, though, there was no Dapper Dan Round Ball Classic until right. 1965. Right. We're talking about 1958-59. Wow. The, the basketball game came after I started recruiting the being great players I'm 19 years old.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: Let me just tell you, two kids that I recruited from the area of Pennsylvania, you know, went to Youngstown. Yep. Freddie Red Jones and, and David Culliver. They're both mm. in the Hall of Fame. Two of the kids I recruited are in the Hall of Fame from Youngstown State. Wow. And it's to though. If you go back to the 50s and 60s and 70s, Youngstown State was a good small college. It was relative to, you know, what we have today in the, that second division thing. They were good. They were good. Mm. I mean, you know, these, these, and, and there, there it was. So I can't explain me. I can't explain when I graduated from Youngstown. I went to Wichita State on a graduate degree because one of the greatest coaches in the world, Hall of Fame coach Ralph Miller, recruited me because he was recruiting people from Pittsburgh. And by this time,
1: I had not,
2: I had not started the Dapper Dan yet. I was just taking kids to these tournaments. In all these little cities, Ralph Miller and his lead assistant was a man named Lanny Van Eeman, who to this day is one of my best friends in life. Wow. He was one of the best players ever. And McKeesport, in Western Pennsylvania, to Ralph Miller at Wichita, go back through the, go back through his history. They had a lot of kids from Western Pennsylvania on their team. Wichita in nineteen fifty, you know, in nineteen sixties, in nineteen sixties. I, I I don't know how to explain all these things except I got in the car one day and I met people in my life. That's how it all happened. Everything was step. That's Everything. a it's
1: such what? a it's such a good metaphor, like the the hitchhiking metaphor you use. I, yeah, I, I t- it, I, it visualizes perfectly how I envision your career path. Go ahead, Emilio.
0: No, I, I just wanted to say if it, maybe it was the times and correct me if I'm wrong, Sonny, um, that you were very kind of open mind. I think that maybe it was the error or yourself because you allowed complete strangers into your car, for example. But then you're probably either sociable. Can you explain a little bit more in detail about that, that mindset? Maybe it was was it the times or was it you yourself as your character trait as far as allowing others to come into your car or into your life that you didn't know so much?
2: I think the car was the evolution of what life was when I was a child. I mean,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, Emilio, it, 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 as I went through my life, what I'll show, we can't do it today. Mm-hmm. I probably, you know, I, I, I am a very controversial person by nature, but I, I'm controversial in situations that I believe in or I believe fighting mm-hmm. for. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm hard hit and don't relent and think mm-hmm. about There mm-hmm. wasn't a period of time when I didn't have conflict with myself, the only thing that was pertinent in my life until I got to be independent in you know in the nineteen you know sixties, I graduated from college and you know started the family. All that you know, is, is my mom and dad and, and, and my family. We were we were we were an immigrant family like all other immigrant families. We were involved in our family, in our heritage, in the town, and the community you lived in. And, and we lived in a a bilingual community. By that I mean not that everyone spoke the native language of their parents' country, but there were different, you know, different types of people. It was not an abstract thing that I was born into. I was born into something that was normal. Different people, mm-hmm. different ideas, right. and then right. and then the one the one cleanser in my life was always my father, an immigrant. Who really didn't understand a lot of things. And when I would stray the difficult path, he would always go to him, and I had some difficult disagreements with very powerful people. When I was mm. 19, 20, 21, especially in, the, in my 20s, once I got especially. And they are documented as my life goes on. But my point to you is, he would ask me, Juan, he never called me Sonny, my mother called me Sonny, Juan. And he said, What? What do you do? I said, I did. you think you do the right thing? Yes, I believe what I said. I believe, my dad said, okay, I believe you. I believe you, you know, you no know, lie to me. Mm-hmm. I believe you. Mm-hmm. So what he said to me is forever indelibly. Etched. That's who I am at 81, 81 years old almost.
3: Mm-hmm. All the
2: things you've read, seen, and heard, I swear, there may be, there could have been, there probably is an exaggeration of my mind of what I the, the touchdown run might not have been a hundred yards; it might have been you know, one <laughs> yard or something. Right, so right. My point <laughs> to you is, but the point I'm making to you is that's who I am. That's so so all the things that you you know even on your long data program, you know, Manny. We don't have time to go through all this, but my point to you Emilio's question was. You know, this is who I am. I'm not afraid of who I am. And mm-hmm. when you when you hear me speak on your program, there's no one's going to call in your program and say, "Well, that's a lie." How's right. it a lie, Mr. Mr. Caller? Well, I know
3: right. different. Well,
2: I'm asking Mr. Caller or Mr. Reader or Mr. Self-absorbed person who thinks that they can <sighs> create their own mystical things with individuals, which right. I can't lie. in right. right. my life, and to people in my life, is mm-hmm. prove it. So I'm not afraid to say whatever I'm going to say. So, right. so, so, the pitching, the hitchhike, it happened per chance. Everything was mm-hmm. per chance. I to get you into, and I hope we go further on now because obviously the round ball classic and the ABCD, and you know, and, and if there are things, whatever you want to talk about, please talk about. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I got in an accident, or I when I went home for Easter, when I was finishing my first year of graduate school at Ralph mm-hmm. in Wichita. I got in an automobile accident. Who could have foresaw that? I'm going around this little, five miles from my hometown,
1: four miles from where
2: I was going. There was a kid named Walter Harris, who was a very good player, Turtle Creek, Pennsylvania. And Ralph wanted me to go see him because they wanted to recruit him. Mm-hmm. I was on my way to go see, I was now this graduate student recruiting for Woodstall, but I was, my job was, I ran intramurals. That's how I got my scholarship. I lived in Ralph Miller's guest house. You <laughs> not understand talking about here. That's how close I was. Wow. And Lanny Van Even was my, and there was a kid from Trafford on the Wichita State team. I sat right behind bench when University of Cincinnati and University of Wichita played one of the greatest games in the world. When they broke Cincinnati's 36-37 game winning streak, it, it's a shocker field hunt. And Dave Stallworth, you guys being from New York know, because he played a minute or two in New York. Up yep. in, and and Nate Bowman. And that's when Ralph had a great team. Well, Stallworth was one of the greatest players there was anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, and I sat there, and David had like 47 points that night. And we, <sighs> and we broke Cincinnati's thing. We broke their winning streak. Team. That's when they played Loyola. Remember, oh. they, they were going to be two times NCAA champions. That's the, that's the Cincinnati Bearcats I'm talking about. Wow. I was at that game.
1: So wow. behind the us so, so, so that's, that's incredible. So, I mean, just serendipity, you had the accident on the way, you know, uh, it sounds like on the way to go see this this uh, player.
2: Yeah, go see Walter Ayers, Absolutely right. I, I went around the brand I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. For now those days, my knee, I look at my right knee right now, the is right across the doctor's knee to Helmodele. It's been 60 years. <laughs> my knee's still working, still cracking now. I see the scar. Wow. I don't go back to Wichita. That's when I thought about eventually the Dapper Dan. Uh, if I go back to Wichita, Ralph Reese, the next year to go to Iowa, I probably would have gone. I probably would have gone into coaching because he liked me and I guess I was good at what I was doing. Right. And mm-hmm. I know I would have gone. He went to Iowa then with Lanny. I I didn't go back to school. Hmm. That was it. I, I, you know, my leg was going to cast the rest of the summer. And there I was. No degree. That's how I taught special education, not at Trafford High School, in New Kensington, which is like twenty five miles, which was the Westmoreland County, which I where I live. Yep. You know, uh, school. Special ed in nineteen sixty four.
1: And no no degree, you're saying. So you did you ever No, get no I had my degree. Oh, okay. I graduated
2: from Youngstone. I didn't get my graduate got degree. Got it, got I it. I got my I got my uh Bachelors. Right. Oh man. So, 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 so you started thinking ten, about
1: you started thinking about the round ball classic when you knew you weren't going back with Ralph.
2: I had no idea there'd ever be one. Okay. I was now laid up. I knew all these kids. I went to a friend of mine named Pat Caesar. Pat then was starting a life. He was my next-door neighbor. Yep. Another Italian mm. kid. And he was getting into rock and roll promotions at the brand-new Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 I mean that specific arena that they evolved now into the, you know what they what the hockey team uses and all that sort of stuff. My point it was brand new. And I come up with the idea. Let's start an all star no All Star game would ever been played in the in, a, in a history of basketball until the Dapper Dan. Where it was mm. there are a lot of games with all stars on them, Manny.
3: Right. But, but there was not
2: an all star game. The best kids in Pennsylvania played the best kids in the United States. That's how it all started. Mm. I never knew any of those kids and the kids in the United States, the first time I met them was when they got off the airplane or their parents drove them. Mike D'Antoni, the coach of the Houston, see? Yep. he played in the second one from West Virginia. Wow. I can give you a living of great players. I mean, I never knew these guys. I read Great Magazine. I read Dell Sports. I used to call people on the phone. I knew most of the Western kids. I didn't know the kids in, in, in Philadelphia. What the hell? I was just disappointed. Yeah, I would, have five cents in my pocket. I read books, and I could call <laughs> yeah. people on the phone. And there were no cell phones. Not so. How do you right.
1: so? How do you open it up to the nation, right? Because basically, what you're saying is the you know Pennsylvania versus the the whole country, right? And it's then because
2: my whole life, the whole oh, excuse me, right? Yeah, that's a good question. do because I never thought small in my life.
3: Mm. Why mm. did I
2: don't make sign the goddamn coaches? give the money. Right. Why did I do this? Why did I do that? I don't know why I did it. I just did it. Why did I say give him all the money? Why did I say mm. sign the whole university? Right. That's what history is finding out. Manny, I could be on a psychiatrist's couch right now. <laughs> the words are going to come out the same.
3: Right. I can't
2: <laughs> tell you. I can't tell you why. Why is someone who writes... This? write something down and say this is what i want to do i want to study i want to be a doctor like my daddy. i want to do this what i knew i didn't want to do is go into the steel mill the railroad or the coal mine Mm, that i
0: did not hey hey sonny uh quick question um it's obvious because of your career and uh legacy that you are an awesome talent evaluator uh for picking jordan and, and having Nike throw the, the, all the money that they had uh, at him. And also, you picked some Hall of Famers early on. Did, did you ever consider doing anything in the scouting department? Or was this just kind of like this is something that is part of you and you're just kind of going in? Did you know that about yourself? Or, or was it just like you're confident about every, everything you did?
2: I never thought what myself was going to do one minute from now until. So whatever I was doing one minute now was no longer available to me. The point mm-hmm. is, now you asked me a good question. And what mm-hmm. if I tell you that, it was, that while I was doing the Dapper Dan from 1965, in the 70s, early 70s, when the ABA came into effect, I actually was hired by the ABA, two lawyers, uh, Steve Arnold and Marty Blackman, who grew up to be unbelievable early, you know, the early uh, great lawyers at that time, although agents weren't big in those days. Mm-hmm. They came to me, and they—I actually went to New York City, and I met one of those brownstones. I think Doe was the guy's name, or Bo Ray Bo, or something. He was real big in the ABA at that time. And here's what they did: they said, Sonny, you know all these kids from the Dapper Dan. Now I'm talking about 1965 to 1970 now, just so you know that." Yep. Sunny, we want them to come to the ABA. If you can get introduced, introduce us to them, them being Marty and Steve. I will, the league, you know, the ABA will pay you $3,000 if they sign a contract. I wasn't the agent, but I made the entree to them. Right.
3: Wow. Because I knew who they
2: were. They all played the Dapper dance. Well, I mean, I knew well. every kid in basketball. The only guy. So those, those, the mystical camps, you know, like the Garfick and Kraft and all those camps that evolved in the East Coast and coaches around, no one knew about that in the 60s and 70s. Just so we understand all this stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, right. I know. Because now it's they, commonplace. This was uncharted territory.
2: Were, well, they were, so they hired me to introduce them, right. and if they signed with the league, I didn't do the contract. Just so you know that. No. Right. I just said, "Here's Steve, and here's you know, here's Manny, and here's Emilio." Right? They're they're, right. they're working for the ABA. If you signed in the ABA, I made good money.
1: Yeah, I can I, imagine. I got, yeah. five,
2: <laughs> I, I got I got five kids. Wow. I, 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 mm. I ended up doing a little period of time. That was $15,000. But what did, what, what did that do? That introduced me to the other one. You guys don't know, but on my own, on my own, I represented a couple other kids there that went to the ABA. Really? But the most mm. famous the famous one was, and I never knew a the kid I coached in high school, I sent him to Eastern Michigan University on a football scholarship. I wasn't a head coach. I was just an assistant coach that knew people because of Zapper Dan. This kid goes there and it turned out to be, I just talked to him yesterday. He's a man now, 65 years old. He said, Sonny, do me a favor. I want you to meet a guy. He, he lives in Detroit. He said, uh, Can you come up here this weekend? Uh, he got in trouble. With, with, with uh, He got in a fight and he can't play basketball anymore. He, he was of, uh, with I drive to Detroit. I'm not going to tell you his name to the end.
1: Okay, good. I'm, I'm <laughs> over here like waiting. Like, I'm, who, who yeah, is he? Okay. Suspense, so we
2: drive, we drive to Detroit. I, I got to like, you know, eight mile. I was like, you know, like Eminem had that thing. It's on 10 Mile. He makes a record of it. You know,
3: yeah, I was on miles, you know,
2: 10 Mile Road, miles. you know, 1970.
3: Okay? Right, right, right. Before,
2: <laughs> Eminem, everybody. <laughs> I walk into a house. I walk out of the door. And there were two gentlemen and a big black do- uh, Doberman waiting for me. <laughs> oh,
0: my and now God.
2: I knew who was going you know, me. I'm just telling you the whole circumstance. Right. I mm-hmm. came in, and one guy, William Merriweather, introduced me to. Him, and he said, This is my young player here, George Gervin.
0: Whoa. Whoa. The ice oh, Man. That's incredible. The Iceman.
2: I did George Gervin's contract with the Virginia Squires. Wow. I went wow. to Virginia Beach with Al Bianchi. And, and, uh, I wow. did the on a napkin. Oh! On a napkin?
3: To this day,
2: uh, to this day, George and I are still, and Willie are still, uh, so I'm saying to you, Manny, wow. these are things, and I, I, we won't get through, you know, this program, you can have a cereal, you know, I can talk all damn day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish we could <laughs> get to the subject. I'm saying these are the things that happen on the Hitchhiker's Ride,
3: George
2: Carver. <gasps> you can't wow. explain it. There's no wow. explanation.
1: No, that's in- that's incredible. And what did you know so what about? Else
2: you what, what else you have to know? What else you have? Your notes. Where you- take me? just get pa- we won't get past 1970 we- <laughs> yeah.
1: well I-, I-, I got like 10 george
0: gervin questions already but go
1: ahead. <laughs> on that note let's take a quick pause to celebrate a dribbling dimes milestone it's been nearly two years since the podcast started and now we're ready to expand the brand with professional grade writing a variety of videos special experiences and so much more but here's the deal you have to get down with the email click to experience it all. So head on over to dribblingdimes.com and sign up. Once on the site, just scroll all the way down to the bottom and drop that email address in the join the dribbling dimes email click box. That's it. From there, you'll receive a confirmation email letting you know you're officially down with the click. Stay tuned to your inbox for way more from Dribbling Dimes. <laughs> No, so so why don't why don't we spend a little time on um, ABCD camp because it it uh hi, you know history will tell you it has had such a tremendous impact on so many pl- not just the players but we know people like Jimmy Sturgis, like Rich Kosick, um, and countless other people that were a part of ABCD camp that talk about it with the fondest of memories right and and i think one of the notable ones that most people might have seen is tracy mcgrady and how i mean utterly grateful he he has shown himself to be to you and to the creation of that program it, because without it he even says he wouldn't have been the t-mac we know and love right so how does, how, does, how does Dapper Dan, I assume, and t- t- correct me if I'm wrong here, but how does Dapper Dan kind of evolve into ABCD camp? And then you not just using it as a showcase, because I know there was a significant education component to it. And so that balance that you were able to strike with the staff that you put together, what, what, was, what was the impetus to making that happen?
2: Well, <laughs> per chance.
1: <laughs> I feel like I, I'm this gonna time. stop. I'm gonna stop asking why questions because I think I know the answer. <laughs>
2: well, I was I was now I I uh, was working for Nike. We owned every college uh, in America. We we, we we had we we had all four teams in 1984 in the Final Four. We were in the winning championships with Jimmy V, and, and Nike came from a nondescript, isolated shoe company that did nothing but uh, running shoes. To this megastar, started in the 70s and 80s, because because I knew Richie Condie, because Brendan McLone coached a few of my Dapper Dan Ramball classic games, uh, I knew him from him coming down there, not of anything else. I didn't. I just knew him because and Jimmy Gatto Sr. Mm-hmm. Who was a close friend of his also, uh, and, and so Richie knew these people. And Richie is a great educator and Sturge and all the all the guys. They, they come up with this idea of having a camp with academics. And they were mm-hmm. based out of Chicago. Yep. They came to me, because I'm now situated at Nike, and they asked me if I could help finance the camp and give them mm-hmm. shoes and all that. This is 1984, 84, 83, 84. Wow. Okay? And I, I was enthralled by the idea. So all I did with that time was, get Nike to give them shoes and we may have given them $5 I have no idea but I don't think so but the first year we gave them the shoes and for all the players and t-shirts and, you know and that sort of stuff I go to Princeton that year and I I watched the operation that's when we, we had it over you know at Jad when I guess and Pete was the coach there and I saw all these kids and I saw also very boring thing to me, but a very real thing to me as I watched what was evolving was three hours of academics mm. and mm. real academics. To send you home if you don't do your academics. Right. Which was like to me now, wait a minute, you're gonna throw away, you know, Jimmy Joe who's the number one player at Captain or But I wasn't thinking of those terms the first year. Yep. I was just being a Samaritan, helping them mm. out. I loved the idea. And the guy who started it was a bright guy. He was a Princeton grad, and he just made a couple small steps and stepped in a, a pothole. Because one year later, Nike is now involved. They forgot to pay their bills, mm. Mm. and Cynthia Horb was a lady that uh, ran the Princeton camp. And I still got the letters from her. I got all the check real. I got everything. <laughs> I saved everything in my whole life. And mm. and the camp was beautiful, and Nike was supportive. And she said. We're gonna to have to cancel it because they didn't—they owed money from last year, you know, last year, whatever that you know that first year I was there. And I turned to Phil Knight and Rob Strasser. Rob was my mentor who worked with Phil, you know, second in charge, and Phil, who just, we were now we were rolling, we had won national championships, you know, blah blah blah. Michael was really not on board yet, you know that 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 thing I, I started before, the, the the thought process, I. I did it because we brought Michael there and used him as part of that camp. Mm. And he actually went and scrimmage with the kids, but that wasn't the reason I did it. I did it because it was a great idea,
3: mm. and
2: it fell apart because they couldn't pay their bills.
3: Mm. Now,
2: anybody not—they—they they, all the New York people and people listening to the show remember this as the Trace McGrady, the Kobe Ryan's the LeBron James, thing, right. and a thousand other kids. Okay. What they don't remember is they did go to school. They did go to class in the morning. It was, you know, something that was really tedious and obvious to do in the summertime, you know, when you wanted to go play basketball. But Richie and his crew made it work. The idea, Mm -hmm. the content, was too good. Mm -hmm. Now what happens, like, a year Mm -hmm. later, okay? They don't pay the bills. Nike's going to become involved. They're still going to sponsor it, but they don't want to own it. Yeah. They don't want to put, oh, by Only because I knew no better, probably. My wife and I, we didn't have 10 cents that I had just started, and I wasn't making, you know, I was making a good living, but I was living the dream. I was doing things that I never thought I'd do, coming out of Trafford. I was involved by that time with Michael and with Nike, and we were winning national championships, and I was becoming a pseudo-celebrity, so to speak, mm-hmm. especially the world of basketball. Cam and I, Actually, put our name on the commitments. Uh-huh. We took the insurance out. It was just happenstance.
3: Mm. It wasn't
2: like I thought I would never have thought of owning that. And every company I worked for, two other companies after that, were the sponsors. And we were the lot. Li- and the reason they weren't in a smart liability to a corporate entity, which right. some kid wants to sue because of negligence or somebody, God forbid, beats up somebody you know they're liable right I guess I didn't right. think anything bad could happen. I have no idea why it's stupid really if you think about it right right but, it, but I did it my whole life I mean because you
1: you, my whole you you, were thinking with your heart not necessarily with whatever legal logic needed to be applied at the moment
2: yeah I, I, I think uh, you know I think what I did was a good a good problem right like Mr. Mm-hmm. Lewis said right
3: okay? right
2: that's my point. So anyway, that's the evolution. So ABCD camp was an academic camp, Athletes for Better Career Development. And they had academics in there, okay? I just changed a little bit so I can get away from the original. I think we changed one letter. I just thought of another letter to put in for C, Career Development or Collegiate Events. I have no idea. That's how it happened. And the, and the, and the, and the thousands of stories, I got, a, I got a letter this morning, yesterday, this morning, for a kid who played in the round ball class, you know, in 1986, I've been writing, you know, you know, tell me about your experience about going to Pittsburgh at what time and a little and, and I got many kids played in, uh, in ABCD camp, much more obviously than played in the round ball. You can only take 20 kids a year in round mm-hmm. ball. I mean, we took 120 every year, plus, 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 you know, you know ABCD. ABCD has more history than any living entity other than the NBA. Mm. Mm. And the reason I say that, because college basketball has always been flawed. Okay. Mm. College sports has been flawed, and they have been, because it wasn't really about the athletes. It was about the organization.
3: Right. I right. Mean,
2: basically, want to be honest, there were a lot of kids that couldn't play college basketball. Or whatever was deemed, you know, academically right or wrong. I don't want to get into that piece of bullcrap. Right, what right. I'm saying to you is, <laughs> there was no, there was no conscience other than you couldn't. I uh, wouldn't have taken a kid to basically rape somebody or something like that.
3: Right. But if you had right. academic
2: problems, or if you got kicked off your high school game or you were demeaned by your high school, like Tracy McGrady's is one of the great stories of all time, but that he ended up being a Hall of Fame basketball player. He almost didn't get out of that place because the high school coach wouldn't let him get out. That's oh. what I mean about lies and disproportionate guilt on athletes. To this day, to this day, they don't have they don't have a, a choice of their own in our sport, basketball, until the other people use them to better their choices today. The mm. So it, it, it's a it's a culture change in a lot of ways. But ABCD camp, you can't revisit and tell it truthfully because the people, and listen, there were great players who went to the other camps. There's no question. And great coaches. It wasn't like we had control of everybody. A lot of great players did not go there. But the point is, if you went to ABCD, you went there on your merits. Mm
3: -hmm. You got there.
2: Because someone believed in you, whether it was the coach, whether it was, you know, sometimes my wife Pam. But Pam interjected her thoughts into the Brady thing, as it's well known. But I had, other than Tracy, I had other kids that got problems and went to camp and ended up being MVPs in the camp. (laughs) Life turns out, good or bad, under every circumstance. Sometimes the kids made a right-hand turn and everything turned out. Sometimes kids made a left hand, and a lot of times injuries injected themselves into their, their lives. Yeah, But right. never did bias or prejudice interject into their lives. They've come through that. And I had great people. When you, when you talk about the rich and of the world and all the academic people, I mean, they were they were so since they were sincere about the academics as I was about getting great talent. Mm-hmm. And I surrounded myself, especially starting in 91, once we left Jadwin and went over to Teaneck, where I had people like, you know, Gary Charles and, you know, and Bobby Hartstein and, you know, and Gary the Caesar and a lot of the coaches on the East Coast, you know, they were my eyes and ears. They were the ones, uh, you know, that helped me. And then Fairleigh Dickinson, you know, they gave me a chance to to bring the camp to the East Coast. And, and when we were in Keenick, it was game, set, match. The game was over. Uh, yeah, the game was over. We, we owned basketball.
0: Oh, um, Sunny. Um, I just want to say real quick because I know you've been around so many student athletes and players. I, I have to bite my tongue not to call you coach all the time because <laughs> you-, you you've had such a profound impact. I just want to make that comment real quick. But here's here's a- my question, and it's a segue off of what we've been speaking about. The reason I want to touch on it because I want to know how much was your in your decision making was was emotional versus practical, and I ask that because. Brandon Jennings, for example, you, you, you kind of assisted with him uh, going overseas and playing in Europe. And I wonder if your, your fallout perhaps with Nike or, or your, your, your relationships for lack of thereof with them, did that impact your decision or was it more like, you know what, I'm thinking bigger, as you say, and I want, I want better for these kids?
2: I don't know if I can answer that, Emilio. I can only tell you what my dad asked me. Your question should have been, did you believe in everything you did, Sonny? Mm. And I would say Mm. to you to answer it in this way, Emilio. Whether it was emotional, which it was sometimes, whether it was practical, which it was, whether it was a favor, which it definitely was, it was it was my decision. So I was the conscious of my own, my own, Voice. I mean, I I owned that. So was right. you know the Brandon Jennings things, I, I didn't know what was happening until he called me. I knew Brandon, mm-hmm. and he only went there like I only knew him like he, he was a junior. He never was there for a senior year or whatever, you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. He called me out of respect for him and his mother, and people said call Sam you know, he, he didn't know me that well. Mm-hmm. I, it was a you know, and he was a great player. I knew who Brandon was, but it was. It was an obligation I've had. He asked me to see if I could help him. Why would anyone say no? For what? Well, some reasons would say, well, all the bullshit that I went through with Brandon and, and Alice, his, his mother, you know, telling me that it was wrong. A lot of my friends, blasphemous, called me a this or called me to that. Some guy said I didn't believe in education. and all that. I know what the stories were. I know what they all have been all my life. Amelia, to answer your question, how could I sit here all these years later and be relevant in the world I live in if I would have been anything other than who I was? Mm. And that's mm-hmm. not just me, there's all the people that worked with me, that helped me, the parents. My biggest success in my life, other than my family, my, my, my family, my wife Pam, my mom and dad, was the parents or guardians. Of all those thousands of kids that played in any one of my events. You understand, Emilio? I didn't know their parents. They didn't know Sonny McCarroll. They I said come to Pittsburgh in nineteen sixty five, get on an airplane. Why in the hell did they do that? Yeah. time I asked that? that's a good question. Why did they do that? First of all, ninety nine percent of the kids never been on an airplane in nineteen sixty five. Right.
3: There well, were no you- cell
2: phones. You had to stop an airplane every 10 minutes to either refuel or land and go. No one went directly from Pittsburgh anywhere, you know, except to out there, maybe. <laughs> My point to you is how on God's good name if I consider myself and man believe God and I do, how, how, really, could I have answered to myself 80-some years later and had some sort of a bias against whatever? It's impossible. <laughs> so everyone That came. How about if I tell you I never missed a game? Really?
3: Never
2: missed a game. Now forget, a game. I'm not talking about a day. I mean a game. I went all three courts, especially since Jazz, especially because Jazz was easy. It was one court. There were three there. I saw him go down for the morning workouts with Timmy Gergerich. I remember when Gary Charles and and, and, and the other Gary and Bobby that gave me the days. I never made that. I trusted them. And they did great jobs. The people that worked with me gave me a part of their life for a very small part of a year to make the events that we are doing right. That's why you, you, you can't get away from talking about it. The generation will be gone. We'll all be gone eventually. That's that's what happens. Okay? But mm-hmm. I don't think the memories of the camp will ever recede because what I'm getting now are the sons of the guys who were the sons of somebody else right? that went yeah. there. right? And, 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 and all the negatives, and you know there were negatives, sure. especially sure. New York, because it in me was what people thought I did when I was at Nike with college coaches and recruits. I mean,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I, I don't want to go into that. I mean, but my point is, Staying on your subject matter, how in the hell could I have done anything different without the <laughs> parents or the guardian? On the faceless, nameless people, I had no idea who they were. Mm. Help me have a wonderful life. But not only that, open the doors for many things. I think what I was involved with with Ed O'Bannon,
3: yeah. truthfully,
2: mm. and I'm still living, and I'm still fighting the windmills on this presidential election, on everything. I'm not afraid to tell you who I am and what I do. I'm not afraid of you not liking it That's your mm. choice. What I'm afraid of is when people are afraid to tell them who they are. Mm. And that's exciting. Mm. And I believe that I've witnessed something here from O'Bannon. I think all the things that the kids are now doing you know, and some of them don't even remember it O'Bannon. right? Like uh. some didn't remember, you know, Dr. King. Some didn't remember, uh. you know. I think I think what John Carlos and Tommy Smith and Peter Norman did, you know, in uh, '66, was what, what set set the whole the whole phrase of independence and fighting for yourself. I think what the girls have done, what the women's sports have done, entertainment anywhere. Combination of everyone's dreams a long time ago, you know. Today, a hundred years later, there, we're writing stories about suffragists a hundred years ago. Yeah, I mean, just, are you kidding me? It's crazy. Are you kidding well, me? We're writing people don't know. Well, that's the sin of America. Let me tell you what I believe the sin of heritage, not the sin, the 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 the, the, the sacredness of heritage. When I was that young kid in Pittsburgh. When we all grew up to whatever nationality it was, whatever religion your, your parents belonged into, we had an undeniable faith in that, because that's who we were. And we believed, and we were proud. We all didn't do good. We all didn't obey the Ten Commandments. Right, that shit happened. Right, right, right. right. we had a faith. <laughs> we had a faith. And that's the difference. So today, the O'Bannon case, you know, they ridiculed Eddie. You guys know right. that I went to 10 or 11 guys, major, major, major players, all Americans. I knew every kid, and they all right. knew me, and they're all my best friends, and they still are. But they just, they didn't want to go against their school, the school that they didn't graduate from, probably. They right. didn't want to go
3: against right. whoever,
2: they didn't offend their coach. No one wants to offend anybody. But right. I'll tell you what, listen to this show today, you offend people by not standing up for yourself. Yeah.
3: Mm. Not standing up for other
2: people. That's how you offend them.
3: That's right.
2: You don't offend them by telling the truth. And, and you know what? Some people don't want the truth. And that's, that's their prerogative. But we've drifted right. a long way from here and I'm very glad we're on this subject. Because the other part of me is just something. Um, but obeying us. And all the people to put things in proper place, that's where it goes. All the edu- all the real educators, you know, getting a college education today, I mean, we're fighting now over whether we should play football or not play football. I mean, you know what? That's that, that, okay. The only thing I know is we should be fighting over one common denominator now, whether we should all be part of a mass genocide here by doing things that we're not supposed to do mm. on our own volition, not somebody else doing it. You have mm. a choice to do what's good here. When you're a genocide, people exterminated you. They did it. Mm. Right. They chose you. Not this I really sway a lot on a Sunday morning in New York, but I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying it all goes back to it all goes back to athletics and kids. And basically, you know, I am going to be 81 years old the so 23rd of September. A
0: few weeks, done. yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, but I'm saying <laughs> to you, I, I, I'm saying we have a chance. We have a chance to get past this. But you know what? About an hour and a half ago, Tammy and I were talking. You know, we we've lost people, personal friends. Richie's lost the same people. Guys with that camp. They had guys with that canyon. Those five kids in New York that had to smoke cigar shop, do you remember? You know, four of them died, one didn't, about when the first when the when the you know the virus starts spreading. Remember those kids all went there at different times? Yeah. I knew
3: all of them. Uh,
2: David came playing uh, the round balls. Yeah. All the, yeah. I mean, they they all went to camp or they played in the game. But the young man named David uh, Britton was on a he was on the ventilator for eighteen days. I thought he was dead. I left the best thinking he died. Wow! So this this thing is real. Yeah. This isn't an abolition. This is and to have the pettiness that goes on.
1: Yeah, it's sad. It, the
2: racial divide is still here.
1: The self been
2: The racial divide since the beginning. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, God. no, no.
1: You you mentioned something that I I mean it's it's super uh, thought provoking, right? And it kind of makes it really huge point it's like you you're involving yourself in self-genocide like that that is really how you should be thinking about this if you're not taking the proper precautions and we're not like the conversation about um your liberties being taken from you because you have to wear a mask or whatever do what society needs you to do to stamp this thing out it's kind of bullshit man like to your point we all have to sacrifice a little bit here in order to make sure that we can live on and do what we want to do. Well,
2: well you, know, you know, Manny, it, 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 now basically what, what's happened that I'm witnessing, okay, everyone believes that, you know, well, everyone has to believe that there, we're going to end our lives pretty sure one way or another that's going to happen. But, but here's the thing. To watch what happened in Syracuse, watch what happened that somebody's, you know, these are the, the students. This isn't that, that, I hate the word, I, I really do, because I don't think they ever were a student athlete. It's mm. just there for, for monetary reasons. But my point is, these kids and the people that went in that first, that first thing down in Florida about four months ago, remember Easter break? Yeah. With thousands of people, and then the motorcycle guys go over to, to Idaho or where the hell they went, yep. 250000 What right do they have to do? Well, they have a right, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Because we they have a right. But what what right do they have? Well, they have a right. I do repeat that twice or three times. But you know what? Shh. Let me say something. Do they have the right to kill me? Right. Is that what their right is? That's what they're doing here. That's what they're hmm. doing. They're saying, Screw you. I'm invincible. I don't give a crap about what this law is because, you know, I'm gonna do deal- but I'm I may go back, and there's only going to be one or two or a thousand. I have no idea what the numbers are going to be when these mass organizations here. I don't think anybody does. But my point is, rather than say, you know what? I don't even want to take a chance of me being the cause of someone else's death.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't want to make a chance of a family losing somebody or somebody having... We don't know what the repercussions are for the people who don't pass away now. What happens five huh. years now? You know how long, excuse me, one time, Manning, you know how long I heard about concussions in this great sport of football? They don't happen. You don't get concussions. It doesn't involve you five years from now. Really. You (laughs) know, the people said that, they all made their millions of dollars, Uh, you know, the the commissioners, the the NCAA, all these people that, you know, the the, the most rake and violators of things, all these people who run FIFA's and all these organizations, They, they don't put their, they're never in jeopardy. You're in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the conferences are talking about playing football and all that bullcrap. i want to get off of that, but I want to say this to you. I watch concussions. I watch when, they, when the young man said, there's things down the road. I watched this in my lifetime. I can say this to you. What do we do now when we were wrong and all the people who have died with this, you know, with, with, with losing their memory, getting Alzheimer's, you know, losing everything in their life. They can't speak anymore. They're, they're crippled, you know, because of someone else. That's the problem. And, it, 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 you know, well, I can change the world and all that stuff, but I can I know one thing I can change. I can change whatever would have been and that, a thought I may or may not have had wanted to do because it was convenient for me. Mm. I can just say, you know what? It's not convenient for you, for you. Right. And if we all did that if we all took a period of time out of our life, say, you know what, this is a bitch. But I'm just gonna you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bite it off here. Right. But I can't right. I can't throw it down your throat and go swimming in the swimming pools and go riding motorcycles to be brave. And I'll tell you what I can't. Black Lives Matter and all these things, I can't stomach the people that stand on the cordon steps with guns in their hands and, you know, emblems of flags on their chest. And they say, we are the saviors. Mm. If they really believe in their cause, then believe in your cause. But don't believe in your cause and the destruction of someone who don't believe in them. Yeah. Because if you do... You are a crass individual that really has no choice in life. You see, someone else made your choice for you. They aren't independent enough. I mean the people who do things because they're basically following orders, and that's what they're doing. The whole gun thing, just so... I, mean, I, I can't believe what's happened in the last years. I'm so proud. I'm proud of the women. I'm proud of you know, the Me Too movements because we're now coming of age. But how, how on earth can you be more? How can you say I'm proud of what happened in Minnesota?
1: Yeah, I know. Right? You, you got to be, got to be nuts.
2: Man, the man gate, the, the last breath he says this, "Bump, bump." You mm-hmm. know, I can't breathe. I mean, how do you? Do? We've seen that. We've seen. The difference. And all nationalities, all people, all people. And the only way it isn't told, Danny, what I'd like to say in this program here, and I don't know how the hell I got here, I've been saying it for like <laughs> six nine months, is there was a little girl in Germany a long time ago. There was just a little girl in Germany and somebody's attic. And it was, the problems were starting in Germany it eventually evolved into one of the most horrible things that ever happened to mankind. And she wrote, and she wrote, and no one really knew what she was doing. And then the war was over. And then we found out what the Germans did. We found out what the Holocaust was. We, we found, and in mankind, man has found a way to be discriminatory against others since the existence of time. We, we've always destroyed each other. Genocide and all these things have happened in the past. Slavery has always been there in the past. But this girl, this girl wrote this book, and there was times when Nazi Germany were burning all the books. And you've got visions of all this, right? We all do. There's millions and millions of movies made about it. Mm-hmm. But Anne Frank wrote a book that lives forever mm-hmm. because she was up in that attic and just said what happened to her and her family. That, to me, was one of the most meaningful books I've ever read. Because it shows the guts and the fortitude of a young child not really knowing what the hell was happening out there, but telling us this is what happened. And Mm -hmm. what I'd like to say to end this, what we have today, what I've watched in my life, is how a lie can perpetuate itself Mm -hmm. and become a reality if the people don't fight back about the lie. See, lies are often one by the winners of the war yep. or the winners of society. But every once in a while, and I'm not comparing myself nor anyone in the world to Anne Frank, but there were plenty of Anne Frank's in a different way that allowed us to know the horribleness of what happened. We're now finding out, you know, the indigenous people in every country, just not in America, every company in country I, I never, I, I never understood really. I mean, I did as I was growing, but I didn't know what it meant to be in Indigenous in Australia, other than people were different. Yep. I didn't know, you know, we we only see, we only see the Indians as people who lived on a plantation because we pushed them on the plantation. I only seen people fight back. I, every nationality every heritage, we've gone through some. But the crazy thing, Neil, is listeners in this podcast is we're supposed to be educated. It's 2020. We have a man who does nothing better in his whole life than lie. Mm. He lies. And he lies on top of the lies. Right. And we're following him. Some people are I don't know who's good, who's bad. I know who is evil. Mm. A lie is evil. And Manny, let's do part two of this someday. okay? <laughs> yes. Because I know so, we didn't yeah. get to what I, I sort of got carried away, and this is like having a conversation on a Sunday morning with two brothers.
1: That's, so that's, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. I have I have one more question for you though. Um, yes. You met Gary DeCesar in Pittsburgh. He, he was on yes. this show, and he told us the story. I, I wonder if you remember that meeting and how that well, it was, relationship flowed. Well, was, it, was,
2: it was a Dapper Dan game. And it was a clinic. Mm-hmm. He was a young coach. I, I don't know if he was a St. Anthony or St. Raymond Center or not. He was a young coach. And he was Italian. My God. right? You know, and, uh, you know, and he came to the thing, and he wanted to be involved. He liked what I was doing, and... I have no idea. He was one of those hitchhikers that right. I adopted uh-huh. him and his wife and the three children but to this day. You know, Gary, Gary, he's in a different car, but his wife and the three children will be favorite, not the Gary side. You know, favorite side. <laughs> That's the same with Bonnie Harstein and Gary Charles and thousands of other people. I met them as a hitchhiker. Gary Charles and Mickey Walker come to my room in Minneapolis in 1991 at the Final Four. I don't know who they are. I just got fired by Nike. I mean, shit, I had to go, go recoup.
3: Right, but, right. You know,
2: and Gary, Gary's in my life the rest of my life. I watched his kids graduate. I mean, wow. it's wonderful. That's what my life has been.
0: Oh, that's great. That's beautiful.
1: That's I, I, beautiful. You're writing a book. Is that right?
2: I'm writing it, and hopefully next year it'll be done. But it will—it will be done. I hope God gives me five minutes to make sure it gets done. But if not, Pam will carry it. If not, I'll have a lot to do.
3: Good. All in right. Theory,
2: it's done. My my story is told. Now we got to make sure everything is true. in it. Okay. It is done. You got to
1: take it to the fact checkers now.
2: <laughs> I got. It'll be bigger. Nope. It, it, it ain't gonna have to be. It ain't gonna, Just trust me, gentlemen. You know. <laughs> hopefully, we all live to you know talk about it and all that stuff. But I'm telling you. Yeah there ain't gonna be no lies that
0: ain't sure. impossible <laughs> i um sonny I just want to make a comment here you say you you're gonna be 81 but you definitely do not strike me as as an 80 year old man your wits about you is spot on i think your memory's better than mine and that's a shame to admit but uh I got work to do <laughs>
2: well i i don't think it's better than yours young call but, but I, I i thank God for a lot of things and uh, I think I think my mom and death my life obviously, right. but it's the hitchhikers mm. It's the hitchhikers that made my life man
1: uh before we part i I'd love to give a big shout out to Pam Vaccaro. yes I keep hearing and i've never I've never met her I've seen her on television that's the yes. extent of our relationship but i I know how significant a godsend she has been in your life just based on all the conversations I've had with people that know you and her and how she guards you like nobody else to make sure that you're firing as optimally as possible so I just I want to send her you know big thanks because I know how significant my wife is to me in my life and how she keeps me grounded so I can only imagine how big of a blessing she's been for you
2: question about it no question about it it's awesome no so, you know she changed my life really she gave me stability in, in, a, in a million ways you'll never understand and can't because it's what goes through one's life as he attaches with other people you know just like the kids and whatever but pammy's always been there it's always been you whatever and it's uh, it's it's a blessing but uh, thank you both of you and god bless you and and, and I would like to do it another time. Let's let some time pass. And yeah. Then if you think yeah. you want to catch up on anything relevant, I'd uh, love to do it. And, and keep your breast to when this is being heard, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. And, and don't let this be the last conversation. If there's a question you want to answer, I like the BS, so it's fine. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> perfect,
1: perfect. I'll tell you what, If God willing, when all this subsides and this it's safe to travel again, I plan to be in the L.A. area one day. And I might have my recording equipment. And we might just find some time. So I'll keep you posted. Well,
2: that, that's a promise. One way or another. And even if we're not recording, you know, if there's something, if there's a question that can help you guys uh, with something on the show or something relevant, you know, feel free just not to be recorded, just to say, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, just
1: say what's up. I Absolutely.
2: All right. Thank you All so right.
1: much. Sir. Thank you, Sonny. I have appreciate you. Have a great day. God
2: bless you. All right. Let me know when this is being heard. You're going to send us a copy, right? Absolutely. Yes
1: alright God thank bless guys be safe you too, you too. thank you bye bye thank you for listening to this episode of Dribbling Dimes if you like what you heard please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now check us out on social media as well we're live on Twitter Instagram and YouTube on all platforms you can find us at D R I double B L E N D I M E S.